In this episode of the Guru Viking podcast, I talk with Barcha Dorje, a Dutch Lama from the Arotair tradition of Tibetan Buddhism. We discuss Barcha Dorje's early interest in Kebatanan, a Javanese esoteric tradition that saw him plunge his hands into boiling oil and deflect strikes from poisonous machetes. We find out how Barcha Dorje first made contact with Nagchang Rinpoche, who was to become his tantric guru of over 25 years. We hear stories of the infamous wrathful teaching style of the wandering Nagpa Kunzang Dorje Rinpoche, with whom Barcha Dorje spent a great deal of time in Nepal. To minimize potential confusion, particularly for those who are unfamiliar with Tibetan-sounding names. I think it's worth pointing out some of the cast of characters in this interview. First of all, Barche Dorje's main teacher goes by several names, two of which are used in this interview, Nagchang Rinpoche and Nagpa Chögyam. I interviewed Nagpa Chögyam using that name twice on this podcast, in episodes 8 and 16. So when you hear either of those names, Nagchang Rinpoche, and Nagpa Chögyam, we are referring to the same person. Nagpa Chögyam's wife and teaching partner's name is Kandro Dechen, and she is also interviewed in episode 16. Kunzang Dorje Rinpoche is the main teacher of Nagpa Chögyam, and his Sangyam, or spiritual consort, is called Jomo Sampel Dechen. There are other names used too, but only in passing. Those are the main figures featured. So without further ado, Barcha Dorje. Arthur Dorje, thank you for joining me on the podcast. My pleasure, for sure. So I'm curious, you know, the first thing I usually ask is, how did you become interested in Buddhism, meditation, and things of that nature? Already from a young age, I was a little different, and uh, I'm raised Catholic. And even when I was a young child, like nine, ten years, um, I went to two services, and I really prayed. So I had like a really heartfelt belief um, when I went older, I had some questions. Um, I kind of liked Jesus and Maria, but I was not sure about uh, the re- revenge mode of God, how he was depicted in that way. So I had some questions and started searching something else. <clears throat> then I was also very interested in martial arts. So I did some, um, uh, I tried out some different martial arts. I did some boxing, Thai boxing, um, and then I found this martial art called Penchak Silat, which is from Indonesia. And, um, and that looked very much like a Kung Fu movie, so I really liked the movements and things. And not long being involved um, in that school, uh, I discovered there was a whole um, meditation practice and um, almost like magical kind of stuff they did. Like... Um, you would go in some kind of a half trance and ask that teachers called Pandakas to come into you, to move you. And so I was very interested in that. And um, they would then also give you some kind of a protection. And um, I felt I could communicate uh, with them, although I never heard them. It was my teacher that was hearing them. Um, I always had that feeling I was somehow not alone. And so I really went into that. So I went many times to Indonesia and did it things to me like they were um, uh, put my hands in boiling oil. I was actually really afraid, you know, when I felt uh, the wok boiling with oil. I didn't want to put my hands in it. But then one of the teachers just pushed my hands in it and then it didn't burn. And then, for example, they said, well, put the oil on your arms. And then they started with machetes banging on my arms and it didn't go into my arms. So... 
as a young lad, I was quite funky. So this is uh, Kabatinan. Kabatinan, yes. Can you maybe talk a little bit about what that is and, and why you ended up putting your hand into boiling oil and get attacked with machetes and so on? Uh, well, um, Ilmu Kabatinan is, um, um, is a meditative system um, that is based in animism, but then it's integrated in, in a Muslim uh, belief. Um, so they always pray to Allah first, saying, well, you're the most powerful, but now we're going to chat with um, uh, the beings that we want to invoke. And what they did with my uh, with the oil and with the machete was kind of proving that this was real. So we were talking about a machete and a spear point in East Java um, that it has a poison in it, and when you have a cup with it, you would kind of um, die from it. And um, and at the same time, there was this wok just boiling with oil. I it was not, not aware what was going on. And then uh, he was explaining later about this oil that it has been um, seven leaves of graves of dead teachers and would have some kind of a protection. And so he went with his hand in there, just in the boiling oil. And then my teacher from Holland, who was visiting with me, also did the same. And then they said, Bastia, you too. And I put my hand above it, and I felt the heat, you know, and uh, I said, ah, not me. And then suddenly this teacher took my hand and put it into the oil. So I was kind of, it felt hot, but it was not burning. And then I took it out, and I was kind of, what the, I'm not going to say the word in this, but, <laughs> but I was thinking it. <laughs> and um, then he said, yeah, just put it on your arms. So I was kind of. Still, still amazed, um, kind of processing it, and without asking, this teacher took that poisonous machete, took my hand, and started banging like this on my arm, and I felt the impact like you would feel a finger or, or a sharp piece of wood, but it didn't go into the skin at all. So then I became very interested in, in, in all that. And that's part of the Ilmu Kibatanan. I mean, if you Google Ilmu Kibatanan, you see those things that people are doing that, like they, they try to cut the tongue or they put things through, uh, which is more called the boost. Um, so it's, it's quite um, almost like a circus attraction in Indonesia where they sometimes show those things. I was never allowed to show those things because they said, if you show this off, then you will not have that kind of protection. So it was more like a private um, thing that I had experienced, and somehow that gave me confidence in the art. I never did that again. That only happens once in Indonesia. But then what I did do is go into some kind of a half trance with a meditation system, um, and you go into a state, and then you um, call them in. And then you feel kind of your hands... Uh, tinkling so you first ask do you want to put my hands up then your hands go up um, it might be a suggestion but it felt really real and then uh, if you want to have certain forms from the 14th century of a certain teacher um, you can ask and then you were pulled in a certain way of course you need to know the language of Pentecostal already to understand what they are meaning but um, so that's what I practiced for quite a while what was the means of entering the trance uh, a meditation practice. So you're, you breathe very deeply in, um, saying, and take all the power of earth and heaven inside of me. Then you hold your breath for a while where you say, 
you have it and it will protect you. And then you blow out, so you blow out all obstacles and unpure uh, thinking. And you do that a few times. Then you have this on your lap. And then you just ask this teacher, I said, and then you said, could you raise my hands? And then you just sit there until you feel that something else does it. And in the beginning, it goes very slow. But then I, um, when you get used to that, they, they start moving you. Well, that's how it feels anyway. Wow. And, and how old were you when you were doing this? I started when I was like uh, maybe 22. So um, I did it for quite a while. Uh, you could only go so far with that system of Kabatnan, isn't that, isn't that right? You know, when you're 22, that's all very funky. <laughs> and, you, and you see other people uh, doing that stuff, you know. But then you also notice that um, whatever the... the the ilmus, the, the magical um, arts are, it doesn't make you necessarily a better person. Actually, with some people, it actually made them worse, you know, because they felt more special than someone else. And, and so it went to their head. It was a danger from that art. Um, you know, when you do hardings and you allow it to be in there, you, your arms feel like wood and somebody else has the pain and some people get a kick out of it. You know, or you'll ask for this uh, confidence in your radiation. And then um, there's, there's a, we call it a spoke. Um, there's a saying of King David. They say, my word is law. And then you can meditate on that and that will be in your radiation. And so um, I was uh, afraid I would go in a wrong direction because um, I felt even the big masters they still had, you know, um, issues. And um, when I was young, I had quite a hot temper, and this was something also I wanted to deal with. Um, And so then I started searching for other things. So I went to Amsterdam um, to some uh, lectures of different teachers and uh, read different kind of books. And then I started, uh, especially the books of uh, Trumpe I found uh, extremely interesting. Also read some of Tartan Tuko. There were not so many available in Dutch translation in that time. Um, but I really liked the Tungrupche book. And so I went back to the Nyingma Center in Amsterdam. And then I saw Journey into Vastness, which was a book of uh, Nakshan Rinpoche. But he signs his books off as uh, Nakwa Chögyam. And because it says Chögyam, I thought it was one of Trungpa Rinpoche's books. So I started reading that, and then there was an address uh, on the back, and uh, I wrote a letter. And then I was invited to Wales to um, enter into a retreat. What was it about that book that gripped you? Well, what I liked most, I was trying out the meditation techniques, but what I liked most is, um, because I kind of felt um, in my previous practices, there was always like you you need to believe and and somehow... um, I start to create a resistance against that, like a blind belief system. And if you don't believe, it doesn't work. And, and somehow, um, I was also not sure if this was just a suggestion, mm. uh, like a magical placebo or something, or if this was something that, um, that was real. And, and somehow, um, I was getting suspicion also, um, what was real, what was not real, what was me, what was that. And, Somehow it didn't matter, but somehow I, I wanted to find out. And in Journey to Vastness, uh, it, it says you don't have to believe anything. There's a certain stage you can um, 
um, try to um, get for you, um, but you can't give someone else an experience. I mean, I can't give you the experience how a Finnish sausage tastes, you know, but there's a method where you can then find out for yourself, and then if you have the experience, then you know. And in that time, that really appealed to me. And the way it was written somehow uh, resonated uh, in, in a way that I felt uh, I wanted to travel to, uh, to Wales. So tell me about that first trip to Wales, meeting who would eventually become your teachers, Nak Chang Wimpache and Kandra Dechen. Some listeners or viewers of the podcast will have seen my previous interview with Nak Pachogiam, as he's, he's, he was called in that particular interview, and also um, a video interview at their home. But for those that haven't seen those things and don't know about them, maybe you could say a bit about them. And then what was it like to meet them for the first time? Well, I, I just, um, I flew in, went to the airport, and uh, I had no idea what to expect. You know, uh, it could be just some cult. I, I, I had no idea. Um, then one of um, uh, Rinpoche's oldest students picked me up with the two children. I was kind of quiet because I was kind of looking what was going on. Uh, they were very friendly. And uh, they drove me to... Um, a gentleman uh, who's not, not around anymore, so I stayed with him, and from there we drove uh, to the retreat place, which was in, in a country house in uh, mid Wales. So I entered in there, there was a lot of laughter, uh, a lot of fun. Um, there was one gentleman uh, sitting at the top of the table uh, called uh, Raljik, and he had an extreme loud laughter, and I actually thought he was the teacher, because somehow... Um, he was quite vocal, and um, but later I found out um, it was uh, Naksharun Pichet. Uh, Kandodation was not there at that moment, and um, and not no no special feeling, just a group of people. Um, I felt they were really close all together, um, laughed uh, on funny things that I still had to find the humor of. Uh, my English was not so good either in that time. But then when the teaching started, um, somehow I felt um, this is it, this is home. I really felt like, um, yeah, I'm going to invest my time in here. Um, and of course, there's never a guarantee, but in the moment, that's how I felt. And so I had some uh, questions, had a private chat, um, asked what it would take to become a student. Uh, I couldn't. Because in that time there was a waiting list. Because um, Rimcha likes the, the man and female to be quite equal in that time. And so I went on a waiting list. But, and for a few years I went to, uh, um, how do you call it, uh, their open retreats. So I kind of became part of the family anyway because I went to all the open retreats. And in that time you had the city hopper to Cardiff from uh, Amsterdam. So it was quite easy to, to fly up and down. Uh, for quite a cheap price. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, Naksharimche is, uh, how can I describe him? <laughs> because I, I see him differently than other people would. Um, for me, he's, um, he's one of the big tatans of the world. Uh, Tatan means a treasure revealer. Um, and then what I found a real advantage is he was from the same culture. Because after um, being in the Indonesian uh, Kabatinam, um, I had no interest in entering to another culture. 
um, although, of course, it comes from a culture, so certain things do um, um, come in, but I didn't want to become a, a Tibetan wannabe. Um, and so what I found also extraordinary is that he had an answer on all the questions I had, also about the Indonesian stuff, the Kabatinan, and he explained it in a way that it somehow made sense. And so um, I just wanted to know more. I was still on me, me, me. Oh, I wanted stuff for me. And uh, so I was very excited. And uh, I, I really felt he could provide. And um, of course, later, I, I really found out, especially spending time with Kunzudor Rubiche, um, who spoke very highly of him. Um, somehow, um, yeah, he became quite a main teacher. Um, of course, he's not a Tibetan, so not everyone will see it in that way. But for me, you know, uh, he had more answers and that made logic, log logic for me and resonated than a lot of Tibetan teachers uh, that I saw in, in my history. So, um, and I actually understood a lot of Tibetan teacher because I had explanation from him. So I had a basis to actually communicate with other Tibetan teachers because of that. So, yeah, for me, he's, he's one of the biggest Tertans um, alive at the moment. And can you explain a bit what you mean by that, one of the biggest Tertans alive? That's hard to explain when you're not in that relationship. Things happen in your practice, in your life circumstances. And, um, of course, he becomes a trust person. He will consult you in a certain way. Uh, and when you apply certain methods of consult, things fall into place. Um, he has a sense of where you are all the time, and what you're doing, um, and then works with that um, in a very subtle way, but somehow it always works. You know, for example, for me, it would never work if someone would say, you have to do this and this, you know, then I have those hair that goes. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and so uh, he really knew how to work with me. Um, I was quite rough, um, when I came to him, but he, he never cared, you know, he, he somehow takes everyone in as they are, and, and he has no, what I could see, no judgment, whoever it was, or what the background is. Um, nowadays, people make fun that in the, when I started to talk, that in every sentence I said three times, fuck, there you have it, the word. <laughs> you know, because I was working in ice pop as a bouncer at that time, so I, I picked up how they spoke, <clears throat> and but he never was insulted by it or, or um, said you should not use that. He had his own particular way of, of, of working with that. Like uh, with that, he once said to me, um, he said, um, Bashir, do you know you would spend half of the time if you would leave that word out? So, <laughs> so he had a way of... of <laughs> So he had a way of, of dealing with that, and he does that with everyone on a very individual basis. And um, I was amazed how um, how he could do that, how he could not be irritated by some personalities. And maybe he was, but I didn't see it. I couldn't, because I was really checking him out, because um, I met some other teachers that also had some dodgy things uh, to express. And so I really wanted to check him out. Um, Kandodeja I never wanted to check out, you know, because he was kind of always sweet. And um, 
that relationship came a little bit later because I think he was just uh, dating her at that time. But him, I really wanted to check out, like, um, is this guy for real or not? So, yeah, I asked all the awkward questions. Um, it was not always polite. Um, it was an interesting time. So I also kind of felt that, like, devotion, for example, a big thing in, in Vajrayana, um, didn't work for me at the beginning at all, you know. I was checking the guy out, and um, I would leave if, if he didn't check out. But then somehow it, it grows in within that relationship. You know, it's like when your best friend is a chef cook and, um, and you don't like Japanese food, then no one's going to tell you you need to eat Japanese food. But then if your friend has always had really good food and you start having respect for the way he expresses his art of cooking and he suddenly says to you, you know, Bashe, there's this new restaurant. It is Japanese, but I have something I'm sure you'll like it. Then you're going to be willing to try that out. And that's what I had with him. And somehow this is where the relationship started. I want to ask you quite a bit about Kuntang Dojo Rinpoche, actually. But you mentioned that you that he also sp- spoke highly of Nakhtran Rinpoche. What sort of things did he say to you specifically? Well, let's say we were on a pilgrimage. Nakhtran Rinpoche was there. And he, I, I didn't recall he did that when he was there, for example. But they gave him a stick, a walking stick of iron, because he requested one. Um, and so uh, the big group went, and I stayed a bit longer. And I've already been there a few times. I went there every year, because he suggested it. And then uh, some gentleman had a dream about him and asked him. And then he said, you should ask your own teachers and not me. Now you have created an obstacle and now we'll have to beat it out of you. And then he took that iron stick. But then, of course, the gentleman came up to to get the beating. And then I said, no, 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 just fun. He says, uh, I'm just an old yogi. And uh, and if I start beating you, then you go to the police, police, and then Kuzumche goes like this in the prison. Like he was joking in that way. But then he became very serious. And then he said, this is actually a very important stick. Because this is him be given to one of the few lamas alive that has the same realization as I have. And we should all have a blessing of that stick. So he then, then he blessed all those people that were there with that stick. And of course, I knew that Nakshimcha had given him that stick. So there was those kind of examples that were always there uh, that he then expressed. Yeah, that would be one example. You gave the example of teasing you or working with the way in which you were swearing a lot and, and cursing a lot. Mm-hmm. What is the point of the relationship or what is the objective? If you stop swearing, you're, you're moving towards something or you're changing from one thing to another. What is the direction that that relationship is carrying you in? Well, somehow um, you lose a piece of image. Because, of, of course, I want to profile myself in a certain way. Um, and somehow within that relationship and those group of people, um, holding on that image becomes less and less important. And somehow, so it, it slowly um, decreases. You have less need to, for self-protection or to profile yourself in a certain way. Um, and, of course, the practice also helps you with that. Because your one of the main practices is with um, 
working with uh, emotional coping strategies that come up in circumstances and in your meditation practice and to see what they really are and how they pattern you in a certain way and therefore certain reactions come back all the time. And and somehow um, you just scrape off those layers by the practice and, and being in that relationship with a group of people uh, around the teacher. Uh, and that definitely did that for me. You know, I was way more close-minded, had strong black and white opinions uh, in, in life. I, I kind of grew up like that. And um, I think I'm more open-minded now than I've ever been. Uh, you know, it's uh, everybody can have the truth. You know, everybody can have the sovereignty. Uh, I actually think it, it's extremely important that people find their own path, uh, whatever that is. So... There's much more allowance, actually, and actually I find it interesting to meet all kinds of people in life that have different views, and I'm not insulted by someone else's view anymore. So that's what that has done. So I move quite easy through life, um, can discuss many things no matter what the opinion of the other is. I think that would be one of the main things I, I uh, achieved. Uh, I have a feeling of circumspection, so I have a feeling... I, um, my way of communicating became much better. So because I have a sense how things are going to be uh, received. And I think that's also because of practice and, and, uh, and being in that relationship where you're somehow with a group of people where you can mess up once in a while. And uh, nobody's going to hold it against you. They're not going to put you in an irritable box. And then everyone else can also mess up and everybody will sometimes somewhere you know because if you work with scraping off layers of patterning and being and looking at your patterning in, in, in a naked manner um, sometimes you will freak out in, in whatever way and sometimes that expresses itself in a group of people where people are very different you know people sometimes irritate each other push each other buttons and um, and somehow there was always an allowance for that you know, not, you just apologize and it was kind of not mentioned again. And then people didn't relate differently to you. And I, f I feel I could uh, allow that to extrapolate in my life circumstances. And so, um, yeah, connecting with people uh, is actually quite easy for me at the moment. If a practice doesn't have an effect on your daily life, but it's just an esoteric hobby that's apart from your life, then, then what does it serve you? If it doesn't, you know, change you in your, in your life circumstances. Yes, I think uh, some of us like our hobbies to leave us unchanged. It's nice, sure. nice to have an, an esoteric hobby that's just just that, because yes. uh, not everyone is interested in that sort of uh, examination that you're talking about, despite its benefits. Yes, that's correct, and maybe sometimes, you know. Uh, there was this escape in culturalism or uh, having a hobby, but somehow, um, yeah, I, I had really had an interest of um, being in a certain way and see how I could accomplish that. I mean, what does it mean that wisdom and compassion arises spontaneously from your inner being in all circumstances? If you want to know that, you need to have the circumstances. Because for me, it didn't make sense to be all peaceful for an hour on a meditation cushion and then the neighbor says something about your car and then you lashes out. You know, it's the lashing out that I want to deal with. 
And so you talked there about looking at patterns and and you, you've also just mentioned meditation. What are the main practices that you engage in then these days as a consequence of this relationship? Well, meditation. <laughs> uh, called the Four Naljos and the Four Tingens. Uh, there's a few books out there so people can pick them up if they want to read them. Um, um, different mantra practices connect with a transformation practice. Um, physical yogas. And then um, at the moment, I, I hold also um, a, a tema. Um, so I'm exploring that. So I, I can start teaching from uh, that platform uh, more and more as a specialism into the Ayurveda. Yeah, can you, can you talk a little bit about that? Is that the Lingesar? Yes. Could you tell us a bit a bit about that? I know you have a background in Pantaxilat and also Kumye, which is sort of Tibetan yoga style. Um, what, what, what about this Lingesar? Well, Lingesa is warriorship. It's, um, um, how shall I express it? Well, I'm just going to express it how I feel it is. It's like a handbook for Buddhas. <laughs> and uh, in that particular view, we're all Buddhas. You are as much Buddha as your neighbor, me, or all the people that have recognized the Buddha. We're all Buddhas. And so, when you have realized that state, um, you still need to communicate that with other beings. Um, and the moment they are not recognizing they are in the state, there will be some resistance or a coping strategy coming out if you want to express a view in a certain way. Um, so this is the martial art aspect. So it's not only a physical martial art, it's also connected with the a verbal and uh, energetic uh, martial art, which is actually much more of this time, you know, in offices and then dealing with people. We're not going to walk around with swords anymore to um, uh, sort out things. It's, it's, it's much more energetically or verbally. And so you need to have a certain wisdom or sensitivity where people are coming from. You need to have a sense. Of course, in meditation, the more transparent you become for yourself, the more other people also become transparent. But if you have a certain um, knowing, a certain experience, and other people have not that experience, then from meeting with those uh, beings, uh, a certain demeanor and a certain way of communicating springs out of that. I mean, those are, for example, the eight manifestations of Padmasambhava. You know, he displayed different activities in different ways of being, depending on the circumstances. Um, and I think even Buddha Sakyamuni, called the Buddha, uh, had the same thing. I mean, for the first 30 years, he couldn't allow um, women in his order. Uh, and the reason was, although he knew that women has exactly the same um, probabilities as men have, um, if you would do, do that in a Brahmin culture where if a woman would even step on the holy ground then the ground would be de defiled for life, something like that um, somehow then nobody would listen to him, so he needed to express his knowledge within the culture he was and so um, this Hillingesa, you know they call it a, a martial act because um, the moment there's an opposition of you or people don't recognize what you want to express, then they will express from their patterns the way they 
believe that through this is. And then there's a way of dancing with that. There's a way of moving with that. And so it's almost the same like you just you just happen to have a, a, a ginger beer and somebody doesn't like it and throws a punch. Um, then there's a way of moving with that. And that's physical, but this can be verbal, this can be energetically, this can be happen on, uh, on all levels. It's a bit like you're the center of your universe and everyone else is in the peripheral, but everyone is their own center and then you're in their peripheral. And it's a bit like um, everyone influences everyone. So it's like uh, when you look at the ocean, there's many different currents. And in, in that view, we are like a consciousness, consciousness current that's influencing and being influenced. And that whole interplay is, is, is um, well, it's a play. This is where Ropa comes from. You know, Ropa means enlightened play. And so the whole, all the practices and the whole system is based on that communication and become more and more skillful um, within that communication. The interesting thing of, of this particular terma, it means treasure, is you start practicing that from the beginning, even when you don't recognize your own natural state. So you'll you take that on as a point of view, and then the whole phenomenal world becomes your retreat. So because whatever you perceive is patterned and moves through mind, and you move with it. And so all the practices is based on that. So I have an extreme interest in that because it's, um, it's not about your own enlightenment or, or whatever. It's somehow moving with, with all that is and somehow having an influence on that in, in a most positive manner. And of course, when you're in, in the enlightened state or in your natural state, then even positive and negative becomes uh, irrelevant. But when you're not in that state, you try to kind of influence positively. And so the less you are ruled by your own coping strategies and your knee-jerk responses, the better you're going to be at it. So again, the, the, the training ground is, of course, your sitting cushion and your meditation practice where you allow the emotion to come up um, in a way that you can't justify it. Of course, you know, in life circumstances, but somebody does something to you and an anger comes out of it, you justify your anger by looking at the world because of that situation, because of that person or whatever. The moment you justify it, you can't change it. Of course, you have just justified it. But when you're sitting cushion, you somehow can't justify it. You have to look the emotion naked in the eye and don't mean without clothes. Um, but without feeding it, you don't feed the emotion, and then something will happen, and you create a space in the arising, and that will extrapolate into the life circumstances. So that's all part of the training. So there's a, there's a meditation emphasis in the Lingesa Tama, and then is being in the world where you try that out. So circumstances might push your buttons. And what I, for example, do is when, when the situation is um, has pushed my buttons in whatever way, I just bring it in my cushion. So I just bring back what happened. I feel the emotions and then I just drop the story and sit with the emotion. So I don't have to sit for an hour to allow it to come up. And then somehow um, some inner knowing comes from that. But it's a pattern that 
has been accumulated along our physical trail or many lifetimes, if you want to believe that. And then somehow it has to come at the surface so you can liberate it. <clears throat> and then that will have an effect how you are in the world again. And the less you are ruled by uh, those coping strategies, um, the more you can allow your inner wisdom to just come up spontaneously in all circumstances. So the wisdom and the active compassion somehow um, coming up as, as non-dual because they can't exist without each other. And then, then there's a communitive aspect, which is um, which every Lingesa Terma has that. Because the principle of every Lingesa as a warrior king, this discourse, and you enter in a situation to deal with that in whatever way is possible within your capacities. And of course, the more you react from your natural state, um, the more you can trust that spontaneity because there's no self-perseverance. That's why we don't say there's a self-defense because there's no one to defend. So that's in a nutshell. Um, mm. How would describe uh, the overall gay satama? Yeah. Could you give an example of um, either yourself or some someone you've seen or a student of yours, perhaps, in which one of these patterns has come up, perhaps been recognised through some means or another, and then related to differently? Like you mean in circumstances, or yeah, an anecdote, for instance, to make what you said, which is very clear, to make it even more concrete, like an example of that type. Well. Um... I, when I was younger, I had quite a hot temper. Um, still have sometimes, um, but it expresses itself differently. And, um, you know, when the hot anger came up, um, I woke up when the action was already done, you know, um, as aggression. And... Um, that's why martial art was really good for me because I had a, an outlet there. <clears throat> but um, that was the problem because I was so it went so fast that you know there was a knee-jerk response. I went for it. Uh, the thing happened, and then much later uh, the awareness came in. You know, um, now it's much more. Um, if it does come up, because it doesn't come up that often anymore, but if it does come up, somehow um, there's a space in the arising. So your fear is going to come up, and it's going to come up, and then you can somehow drop the story or take distance from the story and actually liberate it on the spot. Um, and if you can't liberate it on the spot when the anger doesn't go away straight away, then somehow you have enough space to decide not to do a thing and then deal with the anger later. Um, I mean, that, that can be in all kinds of situations. That can be like on the job. That can be um, uh, whatever. It can be watching something on tally that you really don't agree with. It can be anything. Yeah, I have no desire of beating people up. Or something like that anymore, or, or so it's 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 not that kind of like uh, that that, that it's it's not happening in the same way anymore. So you've also spent a lot of time, as we as we mentioned earlier, with Kunzang Dorje Rinpoche, and in fact, Nagchan Rinpoche's book, Nagpo Chogyam's book, my listeners will know him as Nagpo Chogyam, his book, Wisdom Eccentrics, 
is all about his relationship, teacher-student relationship with Kunzang Dorje Rinpoche. And it was reading that book that prompted me actually to reach out to Nagpoche again for an interview because I think that book's really fantastic. And so that ver- our fir- the first interview I did with Nagpoche talks a lot about Kunzang Dorje Rinpoche, a very remarkable figure. And you spent quite a bit of time with him. Can you say a bit about who he was, what sort of a person he was, and also a bit about what your time with him was like? How did you come to meet him and, and what did what happened in those times? Well, I decided to go there for three months um, before my ordination. So I kind of, because I've not been in, in Nepal in that time, so I wanted to check it out. And so I, I told Max Rinpoche and um, so he, he wrote a, a recommendation letter. And so I just traveled there, went there and... Um, Heard all the wild stories, um, but somehow he, he was extremely kind to me. Like what he displayed with Rinpoche, he never did that to me. He was kind. What kind of wild stories, Barta Dorje? Because I, I've heard some wild stories too, but I don't know if people listening will necessarily know his reputation in that regard. Well, he's called the Flying Lama. You know, um, uh, students told me he can just stop the engine of a bus, uh, all kind of treats, and then. Um, he seemed to be quite wrathful. Um, you know, he could be very direct by a uh, way of cutting through your um, distorted perceptions in a way. Like with Nakhtarumche, he could be quite, you know, when Nakhtarumche came in, then the first thing he said, like, uh, uh, who's this idiot? Um, so he could be quite direct with people. I've seen him direct with people, with other people, for example. Um, that then didn't take the opportunity because they somehow didn't know the, the Tibetan culture. It was quite a shame. What did you see in that? Is there an, a story or anecdote uh, you can remember there? Yeah, for example, um, um, there was one Nakpa going around in Boda, uh, full ordination, and he was looking for uh, Kunzu Darumche. And, um, and I felt, because normally I didn't bring people there, because it was quite uh, private, I decided I, I could bring him, so I, I brought him there, and um, so he kind of ignored him for a while, and then he looked and he said, what do you want? And then he said, well, Rinpoche, um, I hear you're famous about your Chalum um, practices, so um, I would like to request that from you. And then he said, how dare you come in a whole Dzogchen, which is a different vehicle, uh, outfit asking me for practices of lower vehicles. He says... I'm just a drunk. He says, get out with your request or just sit here with a drunk yoga and get drunk with me. And he was kind of insulted and left. And I was sure if you would have sat there and had a whiskey with him or, uh, or this uh, Arak, which is a local drink, they drink there, um, he would get teachings, but he didn't. And so sometimes he, he, he does those things, you know, it's a, and some people also expect something from that um, reputation. Like another very high lama comes in and uh, he has monasteries and just opens a new nunnery. And then he comes in and the tea, everything all very holy. And then he said, oh, Rumshay, I would really like you to uh, bless my nunnery. And then he said, laughing, he said... Uh, he said, uh, would not be good for your reputation if I put all my tiglets in your nonza after nine months. Like he had those kind of, uh, and that culture that's quite wrathful. Um, 
and then he was still sitting there and they said, oh, Rumshir, now I have to go uh, because I have teachings this afternoon. And uh, then he said, you decide to come here, I decide when you leave. So he, he just decided that. He was like a monarch of his, of his place. Uh, and so he, he had those things, you know. It's, um, and sometimes he just said to people, you know, he asked him something and then they were not willing, whatever, and then he just said, get out. Then, he, then they just had to go. So he had that side of him too. And he had a certain radiation that uh, somehow was not possible not to, then to question that. So um, I've, he has tested me too, and I've, I've you know, um, one time he uh, he wanted to check my martial art. So um, he had this uh, he had a little field uh, in front of his house. So his chair was brought down, and he sat. And then one of his students had to come with um, a kukri knife, the knife that the Gurkhas uh, use. Mm-hmm. And then he had to attack me and I had to defend myself. And he found that very funny. <laughs> well, suddenly three o'clock in the night, he starts shouting, uh, come, out, come out here, come here. And then you kind of have to come because I was sleeping in the room next to him. And then I went out and then he was... Um, doing the geisha dances, singing and dancing, and then you had to kind of follow him um, doing exactly what he did. But he just decided to do it at three o'clock in the night, and somehow he just then do it. So the other interesting thing is, for example, um, there was an American uh, gentleman with me in 99, and um, uh, he was from uh, Berkeley, university and then uh, he said to him I said uh, you have to write the letter to Bush and um, he said yeah well it's kind of you know and I don't know the exact words how that went but then uh, he said uh, Bush is a very good man he said um, very powerful I said you need to write him a letter um, that he has to bomb China and um, then the guy said, well, Rinpoche, there's, there's many good people in China too. He said, ah, he said, good people, good rebirth. Bad people, gone. They have a, like a worse <laughs> rebirth, and so we're not going to see him for a while. Um, so he shocked people in that way. But then the interesting thing is two years later, there was another American gentleman, and there was something um, going on in Tibetan, some discussion with other Tibetans. So we're just sitting in the back. And we started to, I started talking to this American gentleman about the style, and I was telling him this story. And then he suddenly stopped, and he looked at me, and then he said, that story was functional for that gentleman, but not for this gentleman. China actually had many good people. So he was totally unpredictable like that. Um, so he, he could always read my mind. He knew exactly where I was. If I went to um, a place... Um, like in Chimichangjup, I fell a little bit in love there. Um, then he knew. Or oh, I went up to Nagi Gompa, and then he said, uh, ah, a little bit careful with all those nuns because they like you and it's not good for their vows. And he just knew where I has been and things. And um, so he had a sense of that. So I, start, I also started to appreciate that. I just knew that wherever I've been, he had a sense of that. How do you think he could tell all that sort of stuff? 
I don't know. I never asked him. <laughs> he just knew somehow. And then, well, what are you going to say? How do you know? If I would say that, he would just start laughing, you know. It's, uh, it's, uh, but somehow he tapped into them. Um, I don't think only Tibetan people can do it. I think there's more people in the world that do that, you know, that have a sense. So it's, uh, but he was one of them anyway. Um, and, uh, but then I could also be totally naked with him. Like no pretense. And um, somehow we really liked each other. And, um, um, and we both liked our whiskies. So, um, so I was also his, his mate. He says, oh, when Bastardoidje comes, there's always party. But, um, yeah, it was very interesting. You also would have spent time with Jomo Sampel Dechen Rinpoche, Kunzan Dojo Rinpoche's wife. Uh, what can you say yes. about her? With her, it takes a bit longer to, to get a relationship, because, um, also because of culture. Um, she's always somehow um, there serving the tea, laughing about his jokes, but less involved. Like she does less formal teaching, especially in the beginning. Now she does it more. Um, but the interesting thing was that um, over time, um, that relationship also grew um, because I would just um, happen to just uh, pop in. You know, I, I never made an appointment when I came into Nepal and uh, then I popped in and um, it was very interesting because normally when there's something official, he sits on his bed and she's serving tea and, and she has arthritis in her hip, so she walks very difficulty and uh, he would not um, stick out a hand. And um, I think some people might even found that disturbing as, as a sexist uh, thing. But um, then his one of his students said that um, this is actually quite important because if he would not do that in his own culture, people lose inspiration. Um, then, of course, when I start popping in, I saw a whole other sight because then I just popped in and he was just sitting um, in his underskirt on the floor uh, peeling potatoes for, for Jomo Sampo who was throwing them in the water. And so the, when they were private, they were very much working together. It's just when he was in an official um, demeanor, um, then that's what he did. And I also found out that... Um, depending who was there, his demeanor changed. So, um, for example, for me, he did a geisha dance, and then he was exhausted, and he uh, collapsed on the floor, and then uh, his students were rushing to pick him up. And he says, laughing, no, 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 he says, no need, there's only Dzogchen here, in which um, it's a vehicle where you recognize that everyone has an enlightened nature. So there's actually less hierarchy. The only hierarchy to sit higher than someone else is because people can see you, <laughs> like a stage. But that will be. But you know, in other vehicles, especially cultural, the llama sits kind of higher, and the less llama sits a little lower. And there's a whole hierarchy which works in that vehicle um, in that way to um, symbolically um, uh, invoke a devotional aspect. And the devotion is there because then the student becomes more receptive. They become empty of their own ideas. So that's the principal function of devotion. Because if you're full of yourself, then nothing can come in. So there's, there's a principal function there too. And in different vehicles, that expresses itself differently. 
So that's why different people are also interested and uh, drawn to different vehicles. Did you learn Salong from Kuntang Doja Rinpoche or was it primarily the Gesar dances? Well, the dance he only showed a few times. Um, what I learned from him is um, was mainly telling stories. He gave me a transmission once of um, uh, Dujim Lingpa. That's what he did. And then he gave a few transmissions which were connected with his personal Gesa Terma, which I still don't know what that means. I will tell that story a bit later. Um, but it was mainly teaching and telling stories. Tsalung um, is from a different vehicle. We have Tsalung in our own Arotair, um, uh, also um, different kinds. But I, I never requested it because um, I didn't have that interest in that way. Uh, for me, it was more to be there. It's kind of time changes. I could start in the morning at nine o'clock, we could down whiskey bottle. Uh, like duty free like a liter in two hours and I was not drunk I was totally clear you just had that effect it was uh, I can't still not explain it I was full vibrant energy and uh, you know it's um, because what he does he has a shot glass a little bigger shot glass and the first needs to kind of overflow and the first three glasses need to down and then you start normal drinking. That's what he did with me. I don't know why he chose the whiskey with me. But I became totally clear, totally not drunk. And as soon as I was not in his, then of course I would get drunk from drinks and things. But with him, it was never there. And um, then all kind of stories and teachings came out. Uh, and um, they were somehow always more uh, connected with, with Dzogchen principle function. Um or when the, I was planning to uh, visit another Lama, then he had a whole story. For example, one time I went to um, visit uh, Namke Drimrimche, who is a big uh, geisha at Tertin, which had an interest. And then he tells a whole story how he met, and um, that Namke Drimrimche was actually really afraid, and he was the brother of Lingesa, and Kunzidurimche, uh, called Shampa, was a, a general of the opposite army. And so, but he had respect for Lingesa, so he was kind of hiding from the army, but the brother was very eager to catch him. So after a while, he did. And then Kuzumiche killed him with a spear. Um, and then he was thrown into a prison um, in that land to have a death sentence. But then three Dakinis came to... Um, um, Lingesa saying, if you don't let this general uh, alive, you will not succeed in your uh, quest. So, and then he became uh, an important general in, in the army of Lingesa. And so then that whole information about his past life, certain things, then come up. And so there was always a circumstance what then had an effect. And so actually I learned a lot about culture, um, vehicles, um, different Tertins and, and how things uh, weaved into each other um, so you could understand the culture also much better um, and uh, you also always said like um, you don't need uh, anything formal from me because you have your own teacher that is um, totally uh, accomplished um, 
but then somehow just being with him always had its 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 own effect, um, which I can't really describe. You know, it's kind of it's like transmission is all the time happening. Like he brings you on a different um, vibrational plane. Your radiation changes when you have been with him. Um, once we went with. Um, uh, and Nakhons was also there. For example, we just went out, and the restaurant was too small, so we actually went into a dump where we were like killing animals, and there was loads of flies, and a few stinking toilets were there, and all the flies was really bugging, but there was not one fly that landed on him and Jerome Sampo. Somehow they didn't. So that there was something about that being that somehow had an effect. Not only human beings, but all kind of beings. And somehow um, you could feel that. And so I just wanted to go back. And I never had a, a, a desire to ask for formal teachings. I was more like um, allowing things to unfold as they unfold. And there were always something would come out of it. You know, what else should you say or should I ask? You know better than me what you've what you've seen and who you've met and what you've experienced is there is there something interesting or amusing or important that i should ask you about well the, the east is very um, interesting um and you need uh, you meet a lot of western buddhists also that, that that come from a different place some people um somehow destroy their own possibilities in there Yes, I had the lineage invocation from Maxim Shein Kandadechen. It was printed out in Tibetan. And um, so we wanted to give that to a few Tibetan lamas and friends um, who are connected with us. And so um, I was going up to um, um, the mountains, um, well, the hills around Kathmandu Valley. And there's, there's a gompa, uh, Nagi gompa, that uh, used to belong of Ergin Tuku. And now um, uh, Chokyul um, and uh, Chokinima is there often. Uh, he has like Shadras in Kathmandu Valley, and then they have a week retreat um, up there. And there's also he has a nunnery there. So I was walking up there to to also give him one of the lineage of vacations, and uh, and so I went up there and was getting a little late, but there was a big uh, ritual going on. So I want to be a little polite. So I was kind of uh, waiting and I was sitting on the stairs how you go up to the entrance. And then some uh, Western individual uh, came up to me and he said, you should never sit with the back to your lama. And um, so I, I looked at the person and I said, I said, well, he's not my lama. I said, my lama lives there in Boda. And so... Um, I said, and then, I said, this whole place is full of llamas, so where can I stand or sit? And that, that person was very um, angry. And uh, <laughs> so he went back, you know, um, and sat on his place. And uh, but it was getting, the sun was getting down, and it takes two hours to go walk down. And you, when it's dark, there's no lights. So I, I just decided to go in. So um, I, I went in did my three prostrations, I went straight while all this chanting and bells and, and all that stuff is happening. I went straight to the head teacher and um, 
I said, sorry, Ramsey, but uh, I have something to show you. So he stopped this whole ritual. The rest continued. And he was reading. And then he looked at me and he said, oh, this is nice. He always does that. He, um, he likes my beard. And then uh, he showed it to his older brother. And he was reading it. And I, I, I went back, you know, because I wanted to go out. And um, then in the eye of my corner, this... this um, he talked to a monk, and the monk started running to the sideways to meet me at the entrance. It was exactly where this person was sitting. And then um, um, this monk said to me, Rums is very impressed with the, with, the, with the text you gave him, and he wants to invite you to his private residence. Um, and I could see or feel the anger swelling up in this person. Um, the sad thing is, um, whatever transmission was going on, because of his anger, he can't receive that transmission. Because on a, on a uh, vibrational, they're not a match. Because he's in his head with his anger, so whatever being transmitted or broadcasted there, uh, he can't receive. And so uh, I've seen more Western people do that. You know, they they get into um, a purest view of how things should be. And can be actually quite nasty also to new people. Um, I think that's quite a shame. There's no need for that. You know, most people are not coming to integrate um, in a culture. They come for some practice and they come for self-development in whatever way they see fit. Uh, what resonates for them. And then somehow, there's no need. I'm, I'm kind of used to that behavior. But then somehow, um, you might really put people off. So I think that's quite important to, to put out there that, uh, you know, People can just relax. People just sometimes just don't know. And there's no problem with not knowing. You know, it's, uh, we expect certain things in England from people. Um, like here in Finland, everybody puts their shoes off. In England, this is not the case. Also in Holland, it's not the case. So if, if a visitor from Holland comes here and doesn't put his shoes off straight away, I'm not going to be angry. Because he doesn't know the culture. <laughs> you know, and you know, I think with the Lamas it's the same. They're supposed to be a lightened being, so they should not get angry when people don't understand the culture. But somehow there's, there's some sometimes there's a group around people and they wanna claim it and they have some some inner circle and uh, I think that's a shame. I'm really happy that we don't have that in, in our Sangha and um and sometimes I like to communicate with that, you know, also on the internet, sometimes there's some trolls and things. I actually enjoy communicating with them. Uh, in a way, if I can just plant a seed or let them think slightly different in, in, in a nice way, then I think that that's useful. And after what must have been about 10 years of being a student or so, mm -hmm. in uh, now, what was it, 2002, was it that you became a Lama? No, no, well, uh, there's no real thing. I, went, I was ordained in 2000. Um, the reason was because... Um, I didn't have an esoteric reason. My main reason is I wanted to wear the color, like some people wear the color of the football team, and I wanted to live Rinpoche's promise, you know, because he promised to, uh, to have the white sangha be more known in the West. And so that's why I wanted to live that promise. So that's why I decided to be ordained. And then um, maybe 2002, three, I'm not sure. The thing is, uh, what happened is... Um, when I was in Nepal, um, and he was still in Yangnusha, it must be 2002 or 
um, he came to me and said, tomorrow you come back, but you don't bring a translator. I said, okay, I said, uh, we'll bring something else. He said, no, no, don't bring a translator. And uh, what he did, he spoke for me in like an hour, an hour and a half. And uh, what I felt is uh, coming into a bubble with him, like the whole surrounding somehow disappeared. Like he was together in some uh, light bubble or something. I can't explain it differently. But anyway, I didn't know what he was doing. I had no idea, but that was happening. And then, um, then he moved to Boda. And then a few years later, he did the same in Boda. So, um, so he said, tomorrow you come and no translator. And I already had a sense that something similar was going to happen because it happened before, of course. And, um, but then I, I had to go around the big Churton that most people call the stupa, but Churton is a Tibetan name. And um, I met a friend from Amdo who used to be my cook when I was in a solitary retreat in Nepal. And so we became friends. So he said, ah, Rashi Doj, ah, where are you going? I said, oh, I'm going to Kunzumche. He said, ah, I'm going with you. I said, well, I cannot forbid him to come. And so if Kunzumche doesn't want him, he will ask him to leave again. But he didn't. And, um, and so uh, they talked about Amdo for an hour, at least, about all the holy places in Amdo. And he had a lot of fun, laughter. And, so, and then he said, oh, okay, now you go sit on that place. And... Uh, um, and then he started the whole thing again. I felt the same, you know, um, like you're, you're in a different space. So I had no idea what was happening. Um, after that, he gave us lunch. And then he said, now I'm tired of all this. I'm going to sleep and you can go. So we went. So we went down. And I said to uh, my friend from Amdo, I said, uh, what did Kunzumche say? I said, uh, I don't know. I said, this is, um, this is like a come uh, dialect then or something. Because he said, no, no, I'm from Amdo. We understand each other. He says, um, this is no Tibetan. He said, maybe Urgian language. But I don't know. Then, of course, um, a year later, Naxon Buche um, came. And then he said that um, he gave me his um, personal gaze at Tamas that he couldn't teach in this time, in his culture. So his students never received um, that from him. Um, and, well, he had a few years to live still, I guess. And uh, so he, he decided to give that to me in essence, which I still don't know what that means. But then he talked to Naksar Rinpoche, and then he said his uh, private terms should be expressed through the term of Ranrik Togen, that's the father of our Lingma, who is the Tat of the Arata. Uh, Rumbiche never talked about that term until uh, Rumbiche decided to do that. So um, then somehow Nakh Rumbiche didn't have much choice because you can't hold a term and not be a full Lama. And so uh, I went on a retreat. He called me with him and he said, well, this is the case. Um, you are, you're going to, I'm going to give you the, the term of Rangwick Togdom um, so that Kunzum Shay's terms can be expressed through that term. Um, and then he said, I ask you for one thing. 
he said, uh, just don't get crazy. Still working on that. But, <laughs> but um, then a year later, and actually, no, in the middle already, I found this old um, shawl that I really liked. So I brought it to him, and uh, then he was wearing it all the time. And then he said, like, um, yeah, he said, this is a very good shawl. He said, you should wear this. And I said, well, Ramsey, in our lineage, you only wear this shawl when you're a teacher or a lama. And I said, yeah, yeah. So maybe it's time, he says, you do that. So he also gave that indication by uh, saying that I had to wear that shawl. And so I'm a full lama, um, although I don't feel that I have all the capacity of a full lama yet. So I'm still in training. So they must see something that I don't see. Um, but of course, it's a big inspiration to keep on practicing because when you're responsible students, somehow, um, yeah, you need to keep on practicing because if they grow further than you, then somehow you have no answers anymore. And, and so it is a big inspiration. And, and I don't know what the plan further is, but um, um, yeah, that's the title anyway, way by his authorization, by, by giving that in essence. So I have no idea how that will come out or how that's going to be expressed. I don't know yet. But maybe uh, with practice it, it will come out one day. It's a feeling I have, but um, but nothing substantial. And then he did another thing connected with teachings. Is, um, then he said after lunch, he says, uh, Dr. Do you have time? I said, for you all the time in the world. You know, it's, uh, and I said, you have to stay and you make it, uh, you're going to make a torma. I said, I'm sure I don't know how to make a Torma. I said, I've never thought because we don't practice this in our lineage, except three small ones when you get ordained. And he said, uh, yeah, yeah, my students will help you. And, uh, and it was a lot of fun, you know, from this Trampa and, and butter they make the, the, all those statues. And um, so they were making a, a, a black kind of guy with fire coming out of his mouth, uh, some kind of a Chinese-looking hat, um, quite a wrathful face and then all kinds of sticks and offerings around like I for example I had to do the meat for example where was red and then uh, they were the other student was printing the vegetarian offerings and so I was thinking nice red and he came and said uh, not too much red I said Rancho but this is this is meat he said yeah but meat needs a lot of fat so also some white pieces there and so he was kind of joking around but what I had to do I had this big thing with a lot of incense sticks and things then I had to walk through Kathmandu to a dump. And so I had to place it in the dump, turn around and don't look back. So then I asked the student what it was and then he said, this is Mika. I said, well, what does that mean? And then he explained Mika is gossip. So people that have a bad attitude or trolls or whatever, I come towards me, this, this torment will take that over for me, so it will not reach me in the same way. So, uh, and that was then part of, of, um, of becoming a teacher. Why is that part of becoming a teacher? Because the additional scrutiny well, or yeah, pressure yeah, you're yeah. under as a teacher? Is that the idea? Yeah, I don't know what he saw, but he just decided to do that to help me in, in, in the job, I guess. Or if you can call it a job. When you say you feel that you don't have the full capacities of a lama or, or as, as a lama that you'd like to be or something like this. What do you mean by that? What 
What is it that you feel that you're lacking in that regard? I'm not in the aligned state all the time or in the non-dual state. Mm. So it's I'm still practicing. So that's what it means for me. Um, but I guess things are quite aligned. But um, yeah, I mean, there's still coping strategies sometimes. You know, this is it's um, yeah. It's not all is uh, equally treated, you know, there's preferences, um, uh, sometimes there's hope and fear. I mean, it, it's uh, it's still there. More subtle, probably. <laughs> mm. But, uh, I mean, there's still a lot of work to be done. So Yeah, I suppose one of the, um, <laughs> I mean, I'm being a bit silly here, but one of the downsides of spending time with the sorts of caliber of people you spent time with is that um, that's a lot to measure up to. Yeah, sure. I know I will do my best, and that's all I can do, you know. And I just keep on doing the thing. Um, it's, I don't have lack of confidence, so it's mm-hmm. not that. Because the funny thing is, and that sounds extremely strange. Um, I have a Kunzerumpeche, but you know, I feel that all the lineage collectives and things that I feel almost like a channel almost when I teach. Sometimes information just comes to me. Uh, I have no idea where it comes from, and it feels, and I know it's the right information. I don't know why I know that. So I feel that uh, happening when I teach, like uh, like some sometimes Kunzbuche uh, or even Aksarimche, they sometimes jump in. You know, sometimes, and my memory is really bad. Sometimes Aksarimche uh, has said something um, 20 years ago, and then suddenly that comes out uh, within my own personality. Sometimes I recognize, sometimes I don't. So so I've learned to trust them. Because in the beginning, I sometimes checked with Rinpoche, but uh, I, I, I just learned to check. So I'm tapping into to, to the lineage or the teachers from the lineages uh, they represented. And I really feel that somehow. You know, it's uh, when I start teaching, it's almost like a runner's high. You know, I get in this mode and things just come. Like, I, I never prepare anything when I start teaching. It just comes out. And so it, it's very interesting. And I've learned to start trusting that. Mm. So, and as long as I feel that support, I feel confident. <laughs> and I, of course, I have a lot of my own work still to do. But, uh, you know, it, it's inspirational. So I'm, I'm happy to, to do that. You know, it's... it's uh, for me, it's an ongoing um, investigation, how mind works, uh, how I react in, in, the, in different circumstances. And somehow, I think everyone has that. Um, first, everyone comes in, wants results, wants um, enlightenment or, or whatever they want from it. But then there's a shift. And then somehow being part of a bigger picture becomes more important. You know, um, whatever you are, your cooperative component um, within that dimension. And I really feel that I am. I'm a cooperative component in that dimension of expansion so that more people can make a contact um, with the dimension of lineage, um, whoever is in there or connected with it. And so that's how I feel I am. And that's why I feel confident teachings because I feel I am a cooperative component and I will express it through my personality, which will have its point of attraction. But then every other Brevet Lama will do. So although I'm a Lama, I'm still in the Brevet Lama um, 
program. And so we actually quite really close and discuss things also together. So there's a whole group of being. And a, and a very nice, unique thing of, of Naxxramshin Candidation is they allow you to express things with your own personalities. Yeah. Like we don't have to become Rumpshin Candidation's mini-me's or whatever. Uh, you know, we don't have to copy anything. We can totally be our own person, express whatever we experience uh, within practice and the teachings um, through our personality. And that makes it um, multifaceted. So we all have our own point of attraction. I mean, with me, you need to like my sense of humor when I teach. It's not easy. <laughs> well, that's the downside of being Dutch. I guess. Yeah. I guess. It's, yeah. an it's an acquired taste, the Dutch sense of humor. That's true. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing I miss sometimes. The humor in Holland grows sometimes. <laughs> Well, uh, that's great. So how could people, you know, if people are interested by this conversation, how could people find you or get in contact with you? Facebook is the easiest. Okay. Yeah, well, just, just start communicating. I communicate with anyone on Facebook. So I've, I'm, I'm a, also a masseur. So I always have little time in between. So quickly going to Facebook and things. Um, I'm pretty active there. Um, and then the website, you know. Arrow Buddhism, I'm there too, you know, with, with email address and phone, so people can find me there too. Great, well, I'll put that a link to your Facebook profile in that case in the show notes, so for, if anyone's interested, they can scroll down and find the link. Well, Barta Georgi, this has been really fascinating and fun conversation. Thank you very much. You're most welcome. It was fun for me too. Thank you for listening to another Guru Viking podcast. For more interviews like these, as well as articles, videos, and guided meditations, visit www.guruviking.com.